0: podcast. I'm Dr. Bernie Wilkinson. I'm Dr. Richard Marshall. And today we have, um, we have an interesting conversation for this podcast, I think, because of, well, the, the ties that got us to this topic for this particular podcast is interesting. Right, right. Um,
1: Happy Friday, by
0: the way. Oh, that's right. Happy Friday. Friday. We always start out with a wishing each other a happy Friday. We should. Though we have been here talking for about an hour already. already, I mean, good grief, it's 6.30 in the morning. We should have... Almost lunchtime. That's right. We need to go out to to eat. Um, But good morning to all the listeners. Glad to have you with us. Absolutely. And so earlier this week... We were, uh, well, it, I guess we'll start this way. In our practice here, we do a lot of different things. I mean, right. we certainly do a lot of work with schools and, and in education, but we we do a lot of other work as well. And part of that work is uh, family law type of work, and we, we do a lot of work with families who are going through divorces and, you know, and then obviously our, our clinical work. Um, and so there's been, here in Florida, there's been uh, a bill going through the, um, through the the Senate and, and the legislature. state state legislature, about divorce and how what happens with divorce, and in particular, it's uh, it was focusing on uh, time-sharing. And uh, I know if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, "Wait a minute! This is an education podcast. I'm not sure what this yeah, has to I do with
1: wondered, it." I wondered, I wondered that very it, thing. It's getting around to
0: it, okay. and because what happened is the the state legislature said that the the default right now for timesharing should be 50-50, right. um, 50% of time with mom, 50% of time with dad. And I, I think while a lot of people see that as a somewhat of a positive thing, something that they, um, you know, and, and certainly as a dad, I would like to make sure that my rights as a, as a father to spend time with my, my kids and everything would be protected. The way that this ties in with education, from my, from our perspective, I'm not going to say my perspective, because I, I know that you and I were talking about this, and um, I'm going to rope you into this with me, is that um, the the idea, the, the idea of normal, you know, um, the the idea of saying 50 time timesharing assumes. A lot of things it assumes that a kid can handle those kinds of transitions it assumes that a child and their parents are organized enough to handle the kid being at mom's two days during the week dad's two days during the week and every other weekend um, or with mom one week uh, and then dad the entire next week and back and forth it, it assumes a lot of things and and I think my worry is that I think that that assumption is dangerous, but it's exactly the same assumption
1: that we make in education. That's right, yeah, you assume all things are equal. Uh, when you make a law like this that says 50-50, um, there are, as you say, and right, uh, well said, we assume that being with dad is the same as being with mom. And that may be true in some families, but it's not true in many other families. Yeah. And instead of making the right decision for the child, we're trying to use the wisdom of Solomon here to say, here, let's cut this thing in half and, um, um, and make it a law. You know, right. And that's the problem, that you make it a law, and then we really have to struggle with it. Um, but, yeah, you're right. The, the legislature steps into these issues like families and uh, divorce and education, and they start making laws that may or may not make sense. For everybody, but the assumption is everything's equal. Right, right, and and and
0: so we're gonna we're gonna talk about that because you know, we've sort of been on this kick of of unintended consequences, right, and I, right. and I think that this absolutely falls into that category of an unintended consequence of what's happening in, in current school reform is that we're assuming children are that all children are normal, right. and, and that if they um, if they just do what they're supposed to do, ah, everything will be just fine. Right. And that everybody will, you know, whether it's reading by a certain grade or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the idea,
1: let's start off talking about what normal means. Well, um, let's begin with, last week we talked about unintended consequences. And what we're talking about are the unintended consequences coming out of the school reform movement. Um, in our country today, we have this very active Um, educational reform. We've said many times on these programs that there is this um, assumption uh, in the country that uh, public education has somehow failed. Right. And we won't even get into a discussion of whether public education has failed or not. Um, Most of us don't think that it has. Uh, Can it be improved? Absolutely. But So private education can be improved, too. So um, no, public education is not the failure that it's been um, made out to be. And teachers and teachers unions are not the villains that they've been made out to be. But we have this pervasive um, assumption in our country today that public education has failed and it is in dire need of reform. Okay, right. so now we have this educational reform movement, and it's become part of um the political landscape that um, somehow um, lawmakers have to get involved to pass laws that um, that will improve public education. So we have this whole notion of educational reform, and one of the four there's a list of four reforms that <clears throat> are sort of at the center of all of these controversies. One is high-stakes testing, we've talked about that in the past. A second is common core, a third is school choice, and a fourth is accountability. And there's a controversy surrounding each one of these four four reform movements, these four aspects of reform, the four, um, um, each one is a focus of reform. And there's a controversy associated with each one. But where it begins is that each one of these things assumes that all kids are normal and that they're all having the same experience. Right. Okay?
0: And that they come come <clears throat> with the same set of skills and the same experiences and the
1: same abilities and the, That's same, right. um, the same motivations. That's right. So now we have, and we've talked about this before, now we have this um general assumption that children will begin to learn to read and write in kindergarten right that that has somehow become the expectation which means that's become the norm right so, and it's not the norm it 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 flies in the face of everything we know and have learned about child development in the last 150 years right uh, since Freud um, different, not all children can do that kind of academic work at age 5. Some can't handle it emotionally, some can't handle it behaviorally, some can't handle it cognitively. Some don't have the executive functions to handle it. Not all children are going to do that. But if we set that up as the norm, then we're going to create failure. Right. We're going to, we're going to create artificial failure. Right. right? Because we have an we have an un, we have an unrealistic uh normal uh unrealistic standard for what we consider normal, and then every kid who can't meet that is somehow abnormal. You know, if you can't reach it, then there's something wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with these kids. They're just not ready to read at five. They'll be ready at six. They'll be ready at seven. They're not ready at five. That doesn't make them abnormal. That that doesn't make people abnormal. But when we we create uh, a new normal... You know the orange is the new black, and this is the new normal. And you know uh, zero is the is the is the new four. You know, or four is the new, however that works. Um, and so uh, we create these normals. But the what bothers me about um, these these ref- this reform movement that we're currently experiencing, um, and and some point I want to talk about the law that was passed yesterday, where kids can switch schools whenever they want. Right. Okay. But, again, there are going to be unintended consequences of that. You know? Right, right. Um, and, and, and so we pass these laws with no um, consideration for what consequences um, they're going to have. But what I'd like to do today is I want to talk about each of these four things and explain how each one of these is based on the assumption that every kid is normal. Right. And, and,
0: and so, so with, with that said, let's, let's, let, let's do spend a second talking about what we're talk, what, what, what is normal. And, and I think that we, we use words like normal um, very generically. Mm-hmm. We use it uh, informally, but yet we apply some formality to it. We right. say, oh, well, um, this is a normal classroom. Um, well, I don't know what a normal classroom means. I, I know that right. lots of classrooms, most classrooms are very different. And this classroom works very well, and this classroom that looks very different look, works well as well. Uh, so if they're both normal, uh, what is normal? Um, when, when, you know, when we're in graduate school, and we're going to, uh, we're, we're taking what they call qualifying exams, right. and we have to, uh, so what qualifying exams are is it's three days of testing. well in my program, it was three days of testing. Right. You arrive at eight o'clock on Monday morning, um, and and it's, it, it is very uh, movie-like. It, you sit in front of a computer, and they pass you an envelope. Right. And uh, they, when the clock strikes eight exactly, they say you can open the envelope, and you have four hours. Um, and in the envelope are questions, and you have four hours to answer the questions. No resources, no internet, no anything. You just have to... It's all from based upon your learning. Oh, cool. Well... My first question from day one, Monday morning, eight o'clock. My question was, "What is abnormal?"
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that was uh, see that that was it. And so I wrote for four hours on what is abnormal. Well, I, I took the approach of uh, my first sentence was well to talk about what abnormal is. We should certainly start by talking about what normal is. Right. And the the point is is that normal has many. Many definitions. Right. Uh, normal development. Normal um, uh, normal time to walk. Normal time to talk. Uh, normal time to learn algebra. Um, n- normal is a very vague, um, abstract thing. But what we're doing, and as we go through some of these the, these things, what we're going to talk about is. How these areas define normal and and really how unfair of a way it is to define normal in, in, in the way that in, in the manner that they're doing it, um, you know we have students who are very very strong i I have a student that I work with who is extremely strong in math, mm-hmm. but she's now a freshman in college and she's taking college algebra and she's not she's struggling um not because she doesn't have the ability but because the teacher is assuming something that she can't do, and to him, this is normal. Right, It is normal to have this expectation. She she missed a, a question on the first test, and um, when she approached him about it, she says, well, this, this is the right answer. He goes, yeah, that's the right answer that you would get if you used the method from the book, but I want you to use this other method, and so it would be different, and so... Um, different normal, a different normal, mm-hmm. and there's so a book normal, and there's a teacher normal. There's different kinds of normal, and, and, and that that sort of is the point. Mm-hmm. The, the, the <laughs> point is is that when we when we assume normal, we're we're creating a, a, a rigid construct of what our expectations are. Right. And so when we have some diversity in the way that children present, then. They don't fit, right. and then we call those kids abnormal, right. or or we assume that they're abnormal, or
1: they're not doing what they need to do. Right. Yeah, because what it struck me this week as I was uh, thinking about the the educational reform movement that we're we're experiencing in our country today, that these four core issues, um, it, it it suddenly struck me that they they all assume that kids are having exactly the same experience, and. Um, we we pay lip service to the idea that children differ. Right. You know, it's like in pediatric in developmental pediatrics who we say, well, most kids walk at around twelve months. That means between ten and fourteen months. You right. know, if you go into a freshman class at Harvard University, nobody can tell me which kid walked at ten months and which kid walked at fourteen months. Right. It's all normal. Right. Okay. And so we pay lip service to the idea, and, and this is an important point that I want the listeners to understand. We pay lip service to the idea that children develop at different rates and that children develop differently and that children are ready for things at different times. Um, whether, it's, whether it's when they walk, when they talk, or when they go through puberty. Look at puberty. Some kids go through puberty at 10 and some kids go through at 15. It's all normal, it's just different times. So we pay lip service to it and yet most of the the most significant educational reforms of the past 15 to 20 years are based on the assumption that all kids can do it at the same time and that all kids are having a similar experience right and let me explain what i mean and if they're not it's either willful disobedience
0: or they're right they just aren't trying they're right not let's doing
1: look, let's look at high stakes testing. We all know about high stakes testing. we're in the testing season now yes okay. this is the testing season now the the so the question becomes now nobody likes testing teachers don't like it school districts don't like it. Students don't like it, parents don't like it, but yet somebody passed a law that you have to take these tests. Okay, that's problem number one, that there is a law mandating that you have to take a test. Now, the idea is that we're going to give all kids a test and we're going to judge them all based on this test. Right. I mean, you could not graduate from high school if you don't pass this test. You can go to school for 10, 12 years, but if you don't pass this single test, it will jeopardize your high school career. doesn't matter what you've done for 12 years. If you don't pass this test that you took in a few hours, you're not gonna get a high school diploma, okay? What's the assumption? The assumption is that every kid can pass the test. Even though we know that every kid can't pass the test for a variety of reasons. Some can't pass it because they haven't learned enough. Some can't pass it because they get anxious. Some can't pass it because they don't feel good that day. But the assumption is, is that every kid should be able to pass this test. And if they can't, then we're going to deny them something. Right, we're not going to teach them something. We're going to deny them a high school diploma because right. they can't pass the test. So, which which is going to have consequences? Life lifelong consequences for the rest of their life. Right. I have, I have. We both have patients who can't pass. They couldn't pass the FCAT years ago. Okay? Right. Now it's the FSA. Those kids can't. They can't get jobs. Right. Because they don't have a high school diploma. They can't even apply for a job. Right. Uh, there's no way for them to show that they can do the work. And so. You know, with these high stakes tests, I think what what we have to ask, instead of assuming that everybody can pass them, is say, what are we measuring and why are we measuring it? And I and I and I you know, because the purpose of tests should be to see what a person doesn't know so that you know what to teach them. Right. Okay. That's not what these tests are used for. They're not used at the secondary level, they're not used to tell anybody. What should be done? They're used simply to measure and to sort who succeeds, who doesn't. And it makes me think of Edward Deming. Do you remember Edward Deming? Oh yeah. After World War II, Edward Deming said, we're building cars incorrectly in this country. We build the entire car, and then at the end of the process, we check to see if it's working or not, if it's working properly. So we have this, we test the car at the end of the assembly line. Deming said, there's a better way to do this. Let's check the car at each assembly point in other words when we put on the tires let's make sure they're working when we put in the engine before we build the rest of the car let's make sure the engine is working because if it's not we still have time to fix it right we can't fix it at the end we got to take the car apart right nobody in detroit was interested in that so we went to japan and he proposed this to because they had to rebuild all their factories so we went to japan proposed it to the japanese japanese said that sounds like a great idea that's where Honda, Mitsubishi, and Toyota came right. from, was Edward Deming's um, new way of measuring. Well, that's what we should do with kids. We should major kids all along to know what to do to fix the problems that we know are going to arise. As they continue to progress. As they And when we have time to do something about it. Instead, we have high-stakes testing that simply measures all kids. Like, well, you've all been in school for 12 years, so you all ought to be able to pass this test. Right. We know that's unreasonable, not possible, and yet that is what... Uh, state legislatures around the country have made those laws. So here's another. This is this is the first example of um, we we give lip service to differences and yet our policies act like everybody's the same.
0: Right. And, and uh, again, the 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 other assumption of of normality there is that the um, <clears throat> is that it's normal to be motivated to pass a test. <laughs> right. It's normal. To have a good night's sleep the night before, it's normal to have a stable home and family life. It's normal to uh, have uh, teachers that are giving you exactly the skills that you need
1: to to uh, master it, to mm-hmm. succeed at the test. So, and everybody's well fed that day, right. right? And everybody's coming from a safe and orderly home environment. Right. You know, we're all the same, right? Everybody's. Everybody has an equal chance to do well on this test, right? And, and so again intuitively
0: we just we simply know that that's not right but, but the, like you said the, the policies
1: are written right. with that assumption uh, at, at its foundation right let's take this let's take a second example common core we you hear a lot about common core the common core is that every kid will be in the same place in the curriculum no matter where right. they live right we're using common core but what what the what the overall
0: the overarching expectation is, is um, a standardized curriculum. A um, common core is a type of that, but it's a standardized curriculum or it's uh, standards that are developed and designed for the
1: country That's that right. everybody will have these certain skills mm-hmm. at these particular and, stages. And so, so there is this uh, policy in place that says by the end of third grade, you will be working at this level. We know that that's not possible, and not yet, for every student. Right? Not for every student. Twenty percent are simply not going to be there. Twenty mm-hmm. percent is a size what one, one in every five kids. Okay, twenty percent right. um, is a sizable number of children. So five to ten million children are not going to be at that level. It doesn't matter what we want. It doesn't matter what laws we pass. It doesn't matter what we call it not every kid is going to reach that standard at the same time and it doesn't yet, matter if we withhold recess, doesn't it doesn't matter, matter if
0: we if we punish them, it doesn't matter if we give them right. red faces in their
1: agenda mm-hmm. those things don't matter. And yet, we what, what do we hear? well, it, the child is lazy or the teacher is lazy you know it's either the teachers fault or the child's fault or the parents fault okay it's nobody's fault it just isn't going to happen you can't will this you can't wish this into existence children develop at different rates and we have our educational policies should reflect the fact of child development that children develop at different rates and yet our educational policies here's two high-stakes testing common core both based on the assumption that every kid can be here at the end of third grade they're not going to be there at the end of third grade So, don't just retain them don't punish them don't throw them out of the school uh... talking to it, you know one of my pet peeves is charter schools and magnet schools because if a child doesn't succeed, then they can't continue in the magnet or charter school. Right. And a lot of magnet school people, a lot of charter school people say, no, 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 we work with these kids. We work with trouble, uh, struggling students. We do the extra work. But if that child has to be retained, he can't stay at that school, so right. they don't throw him out immediately. Right. But if but if they make the decision, the child has to be retained. The child has to leave the school. Right. So. They get
0: they, they're placed on probation, and yeah. then at the end of the year, there's a. It's almost like the uh, like You're the corrections. From the team. It's almost like the corrections uh, uh, system right. Right. where the probation team meets together and says, "Well, yeah. are, they, are they making progress towards our
1: goals? Mm. And, and if, if and if not, they're not, and they're if out. they have to repeat a grade." They're not thrown out of the school. There just isn't, there isn't a place in the next class right. for them. There, right. the, the, there isn't a place. Okay. So, um, but that's that's what we get into when we when we base our curriculum on every child can do this when when we know that every child can't. Then the third issue is school choice. You mentioned this earlier because
0: uh, you're right. This this week um, here yeah. in Florida there was a new law passed. Yet yet another law passed. That says that students. How does it? Students are allowed to switch to whatever school they want, whenever. whenever, whenever they want, for the purpose of sports. Sports. Now, I'm a huge. You know, I'm a huge sports fan. I, I think that. I think that athletics. I think that that kind of exercise and that kind of. Activity for students is is really important. The camaraderie that comes from from being on a team and working together for a common goal. I think that the the social aspects of that are very important. And, and I, I think that it's important to note that that it is a a value for some students because athletics is a way for them to access college Absolutely. and some of those kinds of yeah. things. So so with with all of that in mind, we're going to say yeah, but. Yep. Yeah, but what this is going to do is this is going to create another, uh, we, we talked before about the two-tier system. This right. is another way to feed the two-tier system. That's right. Because now we're going to have a situation where, eh, I want to go be on a better football team, so I'm going to switch from this school to that school. Right. Um, and the... It, it, the the inequality that this is going to cause is uh, immeasurable. I mean, you, you can't. We're not going. We can't right now anticipate how much of an impact this is going to have on school enrollment. I mean, what happens when when fifty students from from one high school in town decides to switch to the other high school in town because they have a better football team or they
1: have a better uh, track team and there's just not enough chairs Here's for that school. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. Let's say that um, in our, in our um, county we have several high schools. So let's say that a group of students, say 50, want to transfer from um, one high school A to high school B. What if there are 55 who want to transfer but there are only 50 places? Right. What do you, what do you say to those other five? Right. Meanwhile, Sorry, you lose. I mean, is that? Meanwhile, who, we still have
0: a, a, a rule here in Florida about how many students can be in a classroom. That's
1: right. So it's not like that. We could just create more seats. You can't build. You're not going to build. You're not going to have one high school build more classrooms. It, it just doesn't make any sense. I don't know who came up with this law. I don't know who thinks this is a good decision. But when you let students move from place to place whenever they want, how do you? How do you have any? Um, how do you have any development? How do you have any consistency? Um, how do you organize your after-school activities? What if a student goes to a different school every year? Well, I mean, how do you? Well, how do you do it? An, and do you, what's funny is the, the 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 thought that I was just having, and,
0: and, and you know, we're we're still working to get a copy of the law so that we we can read through it and and everything. But you know, so we're basing this on what we have, sort of the the media. Uh, the the news reports about it. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, what if the student says, well, uh, here, in, uh, I'm going to use a couple of schools here in, in town, but, hey, Lakeland has a really good football team, so I'm going to go there for football season. But Lake Gibson has a really good wrestling team, so I'm going to transfer to Lake Gibson for the wrestling season. Right. And then, um, you know, this Jenkins ha- Jenkins has a really good baseball team, so I'm going to go to Jenkins for baseball. Right. And, and so the student just... Moves he's an he's, he's an immigrant from
1: classroom to classroom just transferring uh, from school to school. And, you know, I, and I was thinking about this um, because this can happen at the college level. Right. A, a player can transfer. But if you transfer, you have to sit out a year. Right. You, lo- you have to be redshirted for a year before you're eligible to play again. And, and that's Where the these- way that it was in high school. For high
0: school to play on a team for a particular sport, you had to be enrolled in that school by a particular date. Right. And I don't know that that still applies based upon the way that things are reading
1: so far. Because this new law in Florida is another example of school choice. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with education. It has nothing to do with making schools better. This is, this is another blatant example of a political decision that we think that people should be able to choose whatever school they go to. It's simply, education simply doesn't work that way. Right. And um, this is another example of that, that you, you can't just have kids moving all over the county whenever they feel like moving. I think the idea behind the law is we will allow students to move so that Um, schools will compete for students. And we talked about that last week, that um, if we have competition, that the good schools will get better and the underperforming schools will get worse. Well, two problems with that. Number one, you don't have enough places at the good schools. I I want a legislator I want somebody in the legislature to say, let's build enough good schools, however you define good, let's build enough good schools so that we don't have to rely on school choice. It's an abomination that we're saying to parents, look, your school, we have underperforming schools in our county. We have underperforming schools in our state. So we're gonna let you choose higher performing schools. Has it not occurred to any legislator anywhere in this state that we shouldn't have underperforming schools let's fix the underperforming schools school choice is not a choice school choice is not an answer and this is another example of taking the easy way out oh we're going to make them come no we should not have underperforming schools close the underperforming schools and build quality schools for every child But no, we have school choice as though that's a noble gesture. It's not a noble gesture. It's another way to create winners and losers using the educational system to do that. Stop smiling. All right.
0: That's Man. that's school choice. He's, so much for school choice.
1: There, he is generating some heat
0: in this. You don't world. have enough. There aren't
1: enough places in the high quality schools. Number one, and number two, there shouldn't be underperforming schools. Fix the underperforming schools. We know. We said that last week. We know how to fix underperforming schools. Fix the underperforming schools.
0: Well, I just found the the um, news report. I was trying to find it because my um, my browser closed down on my ipad but now i just found it. it is from the orlando sentinel and this is the second paragraph says high school students who transferred even mid-year would be immediately eligible to play sports at their new school under the legislation as long as they hadn't played the same sport that year on another campus
1: that's
0: right so you can go from one school for football, another school for wrestling, another school for basketball, another Who school for. makes these decisions? Who's it's, making these laws? It's, it's, and again, okay, so how this comes back to the assumption of normal, it, it, it assumes that uh, students can manage that. It assumes that all of these students are going to be able to adjust to, these, uh, to, to the transfer, and, and not just the student, him or herself. That's going to, you know, I, I think it's important that we think of the other students, not just the students themselves who are moving, but the students who remain or the students at the new school that now have to be able to adjust to this flux of, uh, of um,
1: volume of students in and out of the school and um, how do, how do from do the students, term to term. How do you get to the new school? I mean, you don't change residences. Right. So you live on the north side of town. And you want to go to a school at the other end of the county. How do you get there? Right. Is, 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 are the buses, are school buses going to take you there? Or do your parents have to take you there? Okay. Right. Well, if your parents have to take you there, what if they don't have a car? Or what if they have to work and they can't take you there? So much for school choice. It's not school choice. It's school choice for some. Okay. Right. Are we going to have buses do that? Are we going to have buses change? Through, change, bu- Do you know how hard it is to get a bus route? develop right. for a year. What are we going to do? Change the bus route every couple of months because we have students transferring from school to school? Are the public school buses going to take them to those schools? Right. I doubt it. Well, I don't know how you do That's a nightmare. Right. And but, it, but I'm going to say this now and I'm going to say it at the end. This is because educational decisions that affect education are made by people who don't understand education. They don't understand how this works. And yet they're allowed to make decisions legal binding regulations that you must under force of law do and they don't know anything about how education works and they don't care about the consequences.
0: Right. Now, now one thing that it, it, I read that, that reads further down in that same article from the Orlando Sentinel is it says the school choice measure would allow parents to pick any school in the state for their child as long as there's room. Now, it does sort of suggest that I don't know what that means, um, but but there's two points from just that sentence that I want to note, and, and that is, one, any school in the state. So that doesn't even mean you have to stay within your district. That means that you can change from district to district without, like, as you said, without changing residences. But the second thing is, is as long as there's room, what does that mean? I, I, I'll, I'll tell you how I interpret that. I interpret that to mean the school, even a general public school, will then be able to decide... If it has room for you or not.
1: That's
0: right. So if you, I'm going to be very, uh, I, I'm not going to raise my voice like you do, but I'll, I'm going to get passionate about this. If you're a good enough football player, we have a chair for you. If you're an okay football player, hmm, maybe not. Depends on. Well, then we'll look at your grades. If you're an average football player and your grades aren't there, sorry, we
1: don't have room for you. If you have a 95 mile an hour fastball, we got a place. for you. We got you. a place for you. We, you can. We can right. take you there. So so. That I'm going to assume,
0: uh, uh, just controversially, that's what the purpose of that uh, statement is for it. And you know, we're joking a little bit, but I I think, but I, but it's based upon history. Um, That perspective is based on history because that's what. That's what we, That's what we keep seeing. Right. Those right. are the
1: kinds of decisions that we keep seeing. And this is, this is school choice. And again, what, what's our topic today? Our topic today is unintended consequences and this assumption that everybody can. Right. Okay? And that's the part of this, these educational reforms, one of them being school choice. It sounds wonderful. We're going to give every parents, we're going to give every family, we're going to give every student a choice. No, you're not. And you need to start being honest about that. Not everybody has a choice. Some will have a choice. Most won't. And that's how things are working. So, so much for school choice. Right. The last, the last um, reform that we hear so much about today is accountability. Yeah. We, we have to hold teachers accountable. Okay, let's talk about accountability. First of all, it's based on the assumption that we have a technology that can measure teacher accountability, that can measure teacher quality. Right. right. Number one, you've heard it here. There is no such test. We, there is no way.
0: We have not yet developed a measurement tool to look at. Teacher effectiveness. That's right. Specifically. That's right. We, we try to approach it from different perspectives. And, and what we're doing right now is we're measuring teacher effectiveness based upon student test sco- scores. Right. Which which, th- which we've talked not- about in previous podcasts as having many, many flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what we're using right now. But th- there is no teacher-specific tool, instrument, measurement tool, Uh. Form of measurement
1: Mm -hmm. to look at specifically teacher accountability that's right you simply please believe us when we tell you this you simply can't measure teacher effectiveness and i'll tell you there's a couple reasons why you can't do it number one let's say you a teacher teaches the sixth grade or seventh grade okay typical middle school math teacher okay the students that she has have had at least, if she teaches the eighth grade, they've had at least seven teachers, at least seven math teachers, okay? Now, in that seven, some were probably very effective teachers and some were probably less effective teachers. But how in the world do you say this eighth grade math teacher was affected when those students were the product of seven different teachers prior to coming into her class, I don't even want to talk about teacher accountability at the high school level. So, problem number one is how do you measure a teacher's effectiveness when the students have been exposed to seven teachers prior to getting there? Especially when you're, a, it's all based upon the assumption that
0: every kid coming in is, is normal place? at exactly the right. same level with exactly
1: right. the same experience. Right. Number two. Let's. This happened this week. So I met with his family, and the dad said, well, one of the problems is he's had four different teachers this year. Right. It happens all the time. In less than three quarters. In less than three quarters. So far this year, he has had four different teachers. Which one is accountable for his education? Right. How do you hold any single teacher accountable? Based on their test scores? I was... I. I I will, I'm going to try to one-up you with oh. this.
0: I, uh, I was talking to a teacher the other day who, um, who is an ag teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, she teaches agriculture. And um, her evaluation is based upon the student's English language testing. The, the reading Wait, test. I, I missed something. I okay. must have missed a sentence. Did nope. I doze off? Nope. So, so it was determined that the the subject matter that is tested at those that those grade levels, the one that's closest to what she does, which is agriculture, would be the reading test. And so her. Performance the is the, teachers the ag perform ag teacher's performance is going to be measured by her students performance
1: on the language arts test. Now, I don't know whether you heard what I heard Dr. Bernie just say, but when a politician stands up and pounds on the podium and says, By God, we're gonna hold teachers accountable for educating our children. That's the lie, because that ag teacher isn't being evaluated on her teaching. No, it, She's being evaluated based on somebody else's teaching. Right. I would say that's something like, we're going to shine up this load of dirt. We're going to polish this load of dirt and make it look real good. Mm-hmm. Okay? Okay. Because there's no rational explanation for that. Right. You have to completely twist and distort the system to make it sound like you're doing something sensible when the whole system is nonsensical. Well,
0: w- when I heard the teacher say this, the first thing that comes to my mind is that I never even, I, I don't know that I ever even considered the idea. How is the, Who how would? Is, how is the PE teacher's performance evaluated? Probably based on
1: whoever te- whoever well, the was, Spanish teacher is. Well, whoever teaches Spanish I mean,
0: or, or maybe math because you know yeah, geometry a little bit with true. 90 you know, feet to the base yeah so but but it's I, I had not really considered what that means right. what what teacher accountability means in these areas that we don't that, that aren't specifically assessed here's, by those high stakes t- testing right.
1: here's another here's another um, um, thing I almost said something I shouldn't say on here.
0: <laughs> we don't have the... Evening. We have,
1: in our high schools, uh, we have this from elementary to middle school to high school, but let's talk about high schools for a minute. In our high schools, we have tracking. Mm-hmm. We have remedial classes. Uh, they call them intensive right. classes. These are students who are underachieving, Right. who don't speak English. Right. Okay. So we have whole groups of students put in one class with a teacher, They're underachieving. Then we have another group who can do the work. And then we have a third group who takes honors classes. Then we take a fourth group taking AP classes. Right. The students in the AP class have already demonstrated through 8 or 9 or 10 or 12 years of schooling that they are competent and high achievers and they can do the work. Right. The students in the intensive classes can't. Right. Now... And I feel for those
0: students. Well... At the end of the year. Because they don't even get electives. At, right. Because their electives they are have, taken away for the right. intensive class. So they, they're, they're struggling in math, so we give them two math periods. Right. The regular math period and then the intensive math period. Right. I just think that's sad. I'd say that in there.
1: Okay. So, Frustrates me. So, so now we have Miss Gordon, fictitious. Miss Gordon has the intensive math group. Right mr gordon has the ap class yeah they're all going to take the same end of your exam right the students in the intensive math class are going to take the end of your exam the students in the ap class are going to take the end of your exam take a wild guess as to which class is going to do better
0: well i was just going to say i hope that mr and mrs gordon are married because then mr gordon's performance his his bonus Will uh, go to the same household, but it's an unfair measurement. That's right, because. But we're assuming that all of the kids taking the test are normal. The assumption is that they're all normal, so that all teachers that they're all the same. That
1: right. That that Mrs. Gordon is teaching faces the the same challenges that Mr. Gordon faces. Right. Okay. Mr. Gordon could sleep, and his students. Could right. sleep for 180 days, and his students will still pass the exam. Right. You know, the m- Mrs. Gordon. It doesn't matter what she does. Many of those students are not. They're going to struggle. I, no I know what. teachers in our district who have students who cannot read English, who are expected to take the end of year exam and pass it. Right. And they can't read the language. You know, our friend um, Dr. Winnie Bradshaw
0: has been talking about this a lot on on Facebook and in, in different forums because. You know, what she said, and I think she's, she's very correct, is that what this does is this discourages high-quality, good teachers from going into special education. That's right. Because why – if you know that your salary and, and potential bonus is based upon your student's performance, why would you voluntarily work with students who will struggle with those tests, mm-hmm. who will – um, have a hard time meeting expectations because we know, as you said, from for, for the past however many years they've been, these students have been in school, they've struggled every year. Why would we? Why would anybody go into that uh, right. work with those students? Right.
1: Want to work with those students? And that's exactly what happens. So you have these teachers who are struggling, struggling daily, to teach math to underachieving students and they know that these students are going to do poorly on the test and it's going to make that teacher look ineffective she will right. be judged to be ineffective based on what her students have done right. now these students are the pro- if she teaches 10th grade math these students are the product of 9 years of math education right. not just her 9 years of math some can't speak english some can't see some can't hear some can't read but she's going to be judged that's accountability that's the fourth so we have high stakes testing common core school choice and now accountability it is all a big lie another n- another point before we leave accountability let's say you have this group of low achieving students what teacher if you're a principal what teacher do you want to have in that classroom of low achieving students probably my best teacher your best teacher right right and yet she's going to get dinged on her evaluation she, because of because you're basing it on student test performance, end of your exam, that teacher is going to get downgraded. Even though she's the best and most effective teacher, the system is structured in such a way that she's going to get a lower performance than a teacher who can sleep through class and not do anything because that teacher has high-achieving students. Right. It you does want to talk about demoralizing your teachers right here. We want you to take the most difficult students and you're not going to get a raise because you look like an ineffective teacher. Whereas this person who can sleep through, not have to do anything except grade papers all year. They get a bonus because their students did so well in the end of your exam. Right. It's a, it's a, it's a decrepit broken system. The reforms have not reformed. The reforms have made it worse. Um, so, again, these are unintended consequences. I don't know where these laws come from, like this school choice law. that was. Mm-hmm. Ch- I, don't, I don't know where people get that. But please, if you're in a position to make laws, and I'm speaking to, to lawmakers now, please check with educational experts and make sure that whatever law you're proposing, first of all, you shouldn't be proposing laws, okay? Um, but make sure that it makes sense. At, at at the school at the school building level, okay? Because this school choice law that a kid can go to school anywhere in the state and play whatever sport he or she wants, that's muddle-headed, muddle-headed. It's not sensible, and it's not going to work for most students because you simply won't have enough places for all the kids who want to transfer. And who's going to keep track of these kids? Who's going to monitor? Them? Who's going to know where a kid is going? A kid could go to three or four different schools in a year. Yeah. We know that's not very effective, right. okay? We already learned that. So before you make these laws, please check with people who know what they're doing. And there are lots of people who know what they're doing before you make the law, okay? And, and if you're not a lawmaker um,
0: and you're, you're a voter, expect yeah, yeah. this from your, your, your lawmakers. Expect this from, from those that you are electing. You know, tell them that you want them to consult with education experts. Tell them mm-hmm. that you expect that they educate
1: themselves on this information, on these That's things, right. because we we parents and and Dr. Bernie and I are both parents. We parents are getting fairly fed up with all these new laws coming down that simply don't make sense, and and they're driving schools in the wrong direction. If state if state legislators want to make schools better we can show you how to do that there are lots of people around who can show you how to make underperforming schools into high performing schools that should be the objective not cutting taxes not school choice not accountability those are nice talking points in a in a in a uh, in a debate they're nice talking points when when people can slam their fist on the table and say by god we're going to be tough on teachers it's not necessary. We know how to make underperforming schools high-performing schools. Let's all get together and and start working on that, and forget about these these little tricks that people are trying to do. And
0: and, and if the current,
1: um, if the current political
0: season has has taught us anything, what it has taught us is that uh, politicians running for office will say pretty much anything. That's right. Um, and, and what they try to do is they try to take these. Firm, extreme stances mm-hmm. on some of these topics, with the idea that um, you know, hey, I'm gonna look how tough I'm going to be on this right. because I'm gonna have these expectations, mm-hmm. and it's um, they're not thinking about That's these right. unintended consequences when a, when a that we keep talking about.
1: When a politician gets up or a school, a state, uh, the head of the Department of Education, when people get up and say. By golly, we're going to get tough, and we're going to we're going to raise standards, and we're going to make everybody we're going to make everybody at this. You're not going to. It simply isn't biologically possible because of human variation. But what it does is it sounds good. It sounds good. I mean, reluctant. who who wouldn't want us to
0: have the strongest education system in the world? Who wouldn't want us to hold teachers accountable? Who wouldn't? I mean, I mean, it, it's all well said... I mean, it's all you know, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Oh, let's do that. Of course. Of course, teachers should should have should be evaluated to make sure that they're teaching what they're supposed to be teaching. Of course, kids they should, should be evaluated
1: have, if we have an evaluation tool. Right. But don't. They, they don't
0: go to that step. Right. Um, but but you know when they stand at the podium and they and they make these statements, of course it sounds good. Mm-hmm. But but the question and, and you know when you listen to some of the more recent debates and things, you know. What they are are trying to do now is say, "How are you going to do that?" You keep saying this. Tell us how that's, right. that's going to happen. Where? How? How, the, how do the numbers get us there? You know, it sounds and, and wonderful. that's the part
1: that that matters. Right. It sounds wonderful when you hear on a news program. Um, well, there's this bill going through. By the way, the bill went through on the last day. Right. I always am suspicious when a bill goes through on the last day of the session, okay, Uh, which means we didn't have time to discuss it. We just passed it. Because when when people hear, oh, this is great. You can send your kid to any school you want. And parents say, oh, that's great. I can do that. Stop, pause, because it's not going to happen. Let's sit down and talk about all of the consequences that this is going to create. Is it really reasonable to believe that, Every family in Florida is going to be able to send their child to the school of their choice. No, it is not going to happen. We are being sold a bill of goods that sounds good. It sounds good. But as soon as you peek under the covers, you realize that it's not. It simply isn't going to work. Um, it's another un- here are the unintended consequences. There are about six unintended consequences of this bill that was passed by the Florida legislature yesterday. One more example of people who don't know anything about education making educational decisions that are not recommendations. They're laws. Right. They're laws. They're now and laws. That, th- this is a law, and that's what scares me, is that people in Tallahassee are able to make laws when they don't know what, what about education, and they don't know anything about education. I can assure you, I shouldn't be making any decisions about the quality of water in the Everglades, because I know nothing about it, and I wouldn't pretend to tell anybody how to how to improve the water quality in the Everglades. Same thing applies here. These are people who don't know anything about how education really works. And they shouldn't be allowed to make laws that determine how it's going to work for generations. Right, right. So
0: so all of this came from, again, the the other big piece of legislature that came out this, this week in regards to um, time-sharing with, with parents. And, you know, I, I think that Dr. Richard and I, we sometimes have a hard time... Um, teasing all of these things apart because there's so much Mm. common ground Mm -hmm. uh, among this ridiculousness that is the way that we are approaching. And and it seems to be um, always related to kids. It, It seems that anytime children are the subject matter, we end up in these situations where we're making decisions that just... Don't really make sense because the people who understand children, that understand education, that understand child development, right. they're not involved in these discussions. No. They're not involved in the conversations about, hey, what would be best? You know, I, I've been, we've worked with kids for a very long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm still of the belief that a child needs to sleep in the same bed more days than not. To split your time evenly between two places just isn't healthy and and I I will admit I've never been through a divorce I hope to never go through a divorce but where I'm sitting right now if I ever did I I want my kids to be in one home most of the time that's right I I mean and if that means it is the best thing for them and, and you know, well, we, we won't get into. Actually, we're going to be talking about um, divorce situations right. in in our next podcast for uh, the Mental Breakdown, which will be airing right around eight o'clock in about thirty minutes. Um, so if you're if you are on Mixler, you have any interest, jump on Mixler m i x l r dot com and uh, slash the Mental Breakdown, and you can listen to that one. But uh, the the issue is is that when we um, when we make decisions about children, when we make decisions about um, education or, or development and we're not informed by specialists in those areas, we have problems. Start making stupid I, decisions you know, with unintended consequences. I, I'm not going to go off on this, change it too much, but think about, you know, there, there's a, there's a unrelated um, issue going on here in Florida, um, or in, in 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 all states in the United States, and that is prescription privileges for psychologists. Uh, it's been a, it's been a topic for years and years and years. But that's an area, interestingly, where the loudest voice is the American Medical Association. Or in Florida, it's the Florida Medical Association, and legislators listen to those medical professionals, and they've limited and and resisted the urge to um, offer uh, psychologists prescription privileges, which I think is an appropriate discussion to have. I think that we should talk to medical professionals and get their view. But again, for some reason, when it's related to children, when it has something to do with children, we don't talk to the professionals. Mm. A few years ago, when when somebody got angry about pediatricians Asking families if there was a gun in the house, somebody gets all up in arms about it, and instead of talking to the American Academy of Pediatrics about why would we be asking this question, well, it probably has to do with the fact that there's a there, there's a significant number of unintended um, gunshot wounds and deaths from accidental shootings by children in the United States that. Yes, having a gun in the house is a health risk to children. Instead of talking to medical professionals and developmental experts about that, we just talk to the NRA and we talk to other politicians and we say, you know what? That's against our, that's a violation of our rights. Pediatricians are no longer allowed to ask if there's a gun in the house. Well, what happens if Clorox decides, well, you know what? It's not fair for pediatricians to ask if uh, parents have bleach in the house. Sure, we know that kids could get exposed to bleach and, and get injured and possibly even die if they if they consume it, young children. So, um, but you know what? It's against their against, it's against their rights to ask if they have Clorox in the house. So they can't ask that anymore. Right. We're not we're not doing the job that we need to do, and that is to educate ourselves. And we I guess we we do talk about that a lot. The the idea of critical thinking and you know we We got to do a better job of getting the information from the people who know the information. so ugh, that was there there's mine. you, you, you know what? Don't you talk about me getting worked out. Man. Common core <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Your face was getting red earlier though um, um, so unlike yours <laughs> <laughs> i it, it it is frustrating it gets when your, we when we see this recurring pattern. That just
1: doesn't make sense to me. And where does it begin? It begins with the assumption that our public schools are failing. Please understand, they're not failing. Do they need to be improved? Absolutely. But what institution doesn't need to be improved? Right. Let's make the underperforming schools better. Forget about high-stakes testing. Forget about accountability. Forget about Common Core. Forget about all of these so-called reforms that sound good they make good political talking points but it's not going to improve our public schools none of these things not one of these things that we talked about this morning high stakes testing common core school choice or accountability has made schools better right in fact they're probably making it much worse and that's why more and more people are not going into education we have a 17% reduction in the people who want to go into education today right. people don't want to teach because lawmakers are putting them they're making these laws that make it impossible for teachers to do their jobs and then they're being evaluated by measures that don't measure that are unfair that don't measure what they purport to measure we don't have the technology to measure teacher accountability and it doesn't work that way when you have four teachers in one year which teacher do you hold accountable right right i mean stop Let's work on building. Let's work on making our underperforming schools better. And yes, sorry, it's going to take money. But what do you want to spend your money on? Okay, the, the, I think that education is probably a pretty good investment. Right.
0: All right. I think that's all. I, I, th- um, I think
1: we did enough for today. We did enough damage. Man, I'm, start, damage. I'm starting to
0: sweat. We got to go turn the air on. Um, all right. So, so that's the end of today's podcast. the uh, The quick reminder is that at the end of this month. The last Monday of the month, in fact, which is um, I think it's the 28th, is the because I'm in Jacksonville uh, on the 30th. That's right. Is the Mm -hmm. education forum um, here in Polk County? Uh, It will. I'm very excited about it. The Ledger uh, at theledger.com. They'll be publishing more information about Mm -hmm. it and um, all kinds of things. We had a um, we had a a, a phone conference about it last week. It is it is sure to be a fantastic. Uh, discussion, and so I hope that everybody can make it there and um, join in the conversation. So that's going to be uh, March 28th, the the evening of March 28th. So, All right. Anything else? Do we have any other announcements or anything? That's all. All right. Um, Thank you for listening. Thanks for Um, listening. Have a great week. If you get a chance, jump on iTunes, write us a review. um, Please. Click click like or however many Mm -hmm. stars. Um, We hope you click a lot of stars. I like Lots of stars. Um, so yes, write us a review. Let's other people know that we're here. It kind of boosts us a little bit in the ratings so that uh, other people can find us a little bit right. easier. So, All right. Until next week, I'm Dr. Bernie. I'm Dr. Richard. Have a great weekend. and um, Best I, to all. And good luck, kids, on, on any testing
1: that you have next week. And we apologize that the adults are doing this to you. <laughs>